1: Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Back in the days of the Bible when Israel settled in the Promised Land, cities of refuge were set up for the purpose of protecting an accidental manslayer from the avenger of blood. In Israelite society, there was no police force to investigate crimes, but it was the moral responsibility of the family members who were closest to the victim to investigate and, if necessary, avenge the death. This person was called the Avenger of Blood. But this person's own emotional subjectivity would cloud his judgment. He might not want to go to the trouble to figure out whether it was an accidental killing or a premeditated murder. And so the accidental killer was a marked man. Now, God ordained six cities of refuge to which the accidental manslayer could flee. The moment he crossed the threshold of the city, he was safe. This of course is a picture of Christ, our refuge, but also the fact that churches should be a city of refuge, a place of grace where anyone may come in and know they will find shelter. They can be sure they will be safe and free from harm. Sadly, some churches which are meant to provide refuge and security are actually places where people are spiritually abused. Now, like the cities of refuge, May our churches be places where a person is no longer defined by their past, but by the unsurpassable worth that God has given to them in Christ.
0: This is Set
1: Free with Ken Legg.
0: I'm Phil Edwards, and this week we're looking at coping with criticism, something we all have to do from time to time. Now, Ken, you had a very good illustration uh, just now when you talked about those cities of refuge in the Old Testament. I wasn't aware of that, actually. What a great understanding uh, of what that actually meant. And it's a really good picture of Christ himself, of course, uh, about the the kind of environment that he wants us, his church, to be because, after all, we are his body. Yes, uh, a
1: church should be a safe zone a place where people don't have to fear judgment or criticism either from the pulpit or from the church police. (laughs) Hmm. That is those who think it's their ministry to fix people. You know what I mean? Uh, There are people who say they have the gift of discernment about people, but I think what they mean is they have the gift of criticism. (laughs) I often say to people who visit us, we are not interested in your past. We're interested
0: in your future. Wow, what a transforming statement that is. We can get our head around that. We're not interested in... Our past. We're interested in our future. Uh, now, Paul was someone who was like that. I mean, if he was interested in his past, then uh, he would have been in trouble because his past <laughs> was, was pretty bad, and and he copped some pretty bad criticism too. We've touched on this already, but just let's run through those points again. Yeah. Well, first of all, um, he had a little regard for what his
1: critics had to say. He said, "With me, it is a very small thing." That I should be judged by you. Notice that, not even just a small thing, but a very small thing that I should be judged by you. So we need to be careful about who we allow to speak into our lives. Often criticism says more about our critic than it does about us. Then, secondly, it is important to be accountable. Uh, This comes out of mutually accountable relationships in the body of Christ, where you know that any criticism that comes your way is going to be constructive. You know, it's out of relationship, out of friendship. We need to avoid those hit and run critics that just dump on us and then run. You know, Mm. don't read anonymous hate mail. We've got to put boundaries around us from that kind to protect us from that kind of stuff, you know. But thirdly, of course, we do need to learn to self evaluate. God has given us a conscience. So your friends are greater than your critics, but your conscience is greater than your friends'. Now, let's give an example of that. You remember uh, Paul had some prophecies uh, as he was uh, getting towards the end of his ministry that if he went back to Jerusalem, he was going to be arrested and uh, taken by the Romans and put on trial and be in danger. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a prophet, I think his name was Agabus, and he laid hold of his uh, girdle, his belt, and said, the man that owns this belt is going to be arrested, going to be taken by wicked men and put on trial and so on. Everybody is weeping and crying. And Paul says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Stop this! You know, what are you trying to break my heart or something? Um, stop this! You know, I, I'm, I'm prepared to go through this. Some people think that he was actually going against prophecies that were telling him not to go ahead, but they were just warning him. This is what's going to happen. Mm. Now, you, you decide, Paul, whether you want to go into this. And of course, Paul knew the will of God for his life. He wanted to go to Rome. Um, you know, Rome was the capital of the the Gentile world." And uh, Paul was a, an apostle to the Gentiles. He wanted to go into the heart of the empire and speak into Caesar's household. So he knew God's will more than anyone else for his life. And so it's great to have friends that care about us and that can offer criticism and advice and so on. But nobody
0: knows us more than we know ourselves. It's really about balance is what I'm picking up. What you're saying here is that on one hand, we shouldn't listen to every bit of criticism that comes along. On the other hand, we shouldn't ignore it all. Either we need to be selective with the criticism that we allow ourselves to take on board from those whose motives we know are right—that that our friends yeah. and so on—and through those filters. And and conscience, for example, is the greatest factor in analysing our criticism. Criticism is that what you're saying.
1: Yes, it's not the greatest because uh, Paul goes on actually to say that there's something even greater than our conscience. In fact, let me just read that to you, Phil, out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 4 and 5. He says, I know nothing against myself. In other words, he's talking about his conscience. He says, Hmm. I haven't violated my conscience. I'm not aware of anything against myself. Yet, he says, I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Then he goes on to say, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. So clearly, um, the greatest means of evaluating our lives is even something beyond our conscience, and that is God himself. So I believe that means a couple of things. First of all, let God evaluate you regarding your position. That judgment concerning your true value, your true worth, your position, Don't let other people say, for example, you're useless, Mm. you're hopeless, you know, you're always a problem, you know. That's kind of like putting a value judgment upon you. Now, hang on a minute. God has actually already made a value judgment upon my life at the cross. As we said just uh, recently, you know, at the cross, God says, you are of unsurpassable worth. The blood of Jesus, my own son, has redeemed you. That's how valuable you are. That's your true worth. Don't let anybody kind of put some other value judgment upon you because God is the one that makes the call there. But also concerning our walk, you know, that's concerning our position, but concerning our, our walk, I believe God, again, will, is the one that will guide us. We may have a conscience, but God is even greater than our conscience. John puts it this way. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. He says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. See, if our heart condemns us, there's there's no point in going any further Mm -hmm. because God is even greater than our conscience. If if our conscience says, no, red light, we don't get a second opinion from God. (laughs) God is greater than our conscience. And the great thing is this, Phil, that we have a relationship with God. And I think this is something we've got to really um, stress today in the church. We don't have to go to somebody and say, what do you think God wants me to do about this? Or what do you think God is saying to me about this? That's old covenant stuff. You know, if somebody under the old covenant wanted to know something from God, he would go to a mediator like a priest or a prophet and get them to find God's will The writer to the Hebrews says that under the new covenant, no longer shall we say to our brother, know the Lord, for everyone shall know the Lord. Mm. We will have our own relationship with God. God will speak to us. And uh, Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. And uh, that's something we need to encourage. You know, we, we do have prophets in the body of Christ. Thank God for them. But I am a little bit concerned about the mentality where people think unless they run to the prophet, they won't get God's word for their lives. You know, we have an open heaven. God has uh, given us this beautiful relationship, this personal, intimate relationship. With him and he wants us to learn to hear his voice and to know what he says otherwise we will be victim to the criticisms and the judgments of other people
0: and that really is the key is learning to hear that voice of the lord and i've got to say personally it's something i've struggled with because often you're just so busy doing everything that you do and you're busy processing all the stuff that's thrown at you and, and everything else to find that quiet space to study god's word and to get to know him and to hear that word of the Lord. So it's not necessarily an, an easy thing, no. but it's something that we, we must do. And to it's listen a growing to it. thing, isn't it? It's, it's a it. growing thing. Listen to His voice and not the voices of those around us who are you know, standing on from the sidelines, sandbagging often. Yeah. A very practical study this week on coping with criticism, and we'll have more for you tomorrow. Until then, remember you don't have to carry that baggage. God wants you to be set free.
1: For books, DVDs, small group studies and other resources from Ken Legg, including the book What's Eating You, which features topics from today's message, shop online at vision.org.au. That's vision.org.au.